Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast Intimate Personal Conversations with the Industry's Biggest Names. Today we have Jake Bazel, who has an amazing story of creating the Winnie the Pooh theatrical adaptation, musical, by the way, with Disney Theatrical. He helped Disney get into the off-Broadway space because, you know, you may or may not have realized this, that all they have ever done are big-budget Broadway productions. And so this is an experiment. This is a great opportunity for them to try to build something that caters to a much more intimate audience in an intimate space. And I've seen the show. I love it. He mentions this at the end, but he does puppeteering and he gets involved with all of this children's work to keep his inner child alive. And it's something I think that we all need to listen to and do a little bit more of. As always, find me online on Instagram and Twitter. Hit me up on your DMs. Let me know you're listening. Tell a friend. Help share the word about the podcast. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Jake Bazel. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Our guest today is a puppeteer, voice actor, writer, director, and coach with over a decade of experience working in children's media with credits that include various productions of Sesame Street, Apple TV+, NBC, and many others. It makes perfect sense that we can now find him off-Broadway starring in his latest project, which is a collaboration with Disney Theatrical, the adaptation of Winnie the Pooh, which he helped create and write. Jake Bazel, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Dude, your credits are kind of insane, and you look like you're about 20, right? (laughs) If I may say so. That's very kind. I usually get 12, so I will absolutely take 20. I will absolutely take 20. So I want to dive right into the the off-Broadway production of Winnie the Pooh. I saw it. I took my five-and-a-half-year-old to see it the other day, and he was just enthralled he loved it he, he still wants he wants to go back and he saved a bunch of the leaves that fell during fall oh, good. and we had our picture taken with tigger it was amazing and i didn't know it at the time that you were that you were part of the creative process for this whole thing so i talk to me about how this even got started because doing something with disney is huge yeah it's it's truly been a unicorn of a project in that this sort of never happens this way. Um, but I had worked with the producer, 
Jonathan Rockefeller, producer, creator, director, Jonathan Rockefeller on another show a few years back. Um, and he was the one to take the idea to Disney and pitch it to Disney, essentially saying, you've got all these big, beautiful, brilliant Broadway shows. Um, but a, a market you sort of haven't explored is, is the off-Broadway space, is that smaller, more intimate theater space in New York. Um, and you've got this property. You've got Winnie the Pooh that is inherently more intimate, inherently cozier and wouldn't want to fill a 2000 seat house, but it could work really, really well in a 200 seat house, um, in town. So that was sort of the initial pitch. And he brought me into that pitch knowing that I was, uh, well, a, he needed a puppeteer to be in a mock version of the Pooh puppet, uh, for that meeting. But also he knew I was a huge fan of Winnie the Pooh and a huge, and, and knew the books, knew the adaptations, knew, sort of everything Disney had done with them. So he brought me in as, as sort of a, a resident hundred acre expert <laughs> for that first, for that first meeting. Um, and then when we met up together a few months later to start actually working and writing on the show, I took on a bit of a writing consultant again, being the hundred acre guy in the room, um, as we were building the show, uh, which is it's, it's been wild to wear a few different hats on this show and it all happened organically and and it's 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 been wonderful to then also step over into playing Pooh and continuing to wear that puppet for for readings and workshops and so they they I, they they sort of happened concurrently there I was switching back and forth as as we built the show over over four years it's, it's been a wild ride so let's take it wow four years so that's sort of I mean, it takes multiple years for even for big Broadway shows to make it all the way to Broadway. And and that that to me seems, I don't know if that's, I was going to say it seems long for off-Broadway, but I don't actually know. Why why did it take so long in this space? Was it because of the, just the, getting the brand right? Like this is such a, a recognizable brand and a story well, I mean, the story's original to your show, but the overall concept of Pooh has been around for decades. Yeah, I mean, it, we, we were slated and we were sort of ready to go at this time last year. And then, of course, everything hit. And, and that, that was it. That was one of the four years right there is the pandemic. <laughs> but right. um, but up before then, yeah, we really wanted to take our time and get it right. Uh, we started in 2018 with sort of a list of Things. We wanted the show to feel as fresh as it could, but also quintessentially Winnie the Pooh. Um, so we started just with a list of things that we knew we needed in the show. What are the vignettes? What are the tableaus that people are going to come in expecting? Um, and how can we take those and uh, make those feel fresh, honor those, but still, but also turn them on their head in a way and then make them feel fresh in a new way? Um, so it, 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 from there, yeah, it was just writing and rewriting and, and building out shows. Initially, some of the earlier drafts of the show were way too big, and we were, and it, not that it was trying to be Broadway, but it was trying to be a bigger, more lavish thing. And then we realized it was actually in our favor to really play to the smaller space and, and pare it back a little bit, and not not try to be a bigger, splashier show. I think a huge part of the reason why the show works is because it honors sort of the the smallness and the simplicity of the original books. Um, I think why people love Winnie the Pooh is because in all of the stories, nothing ever happens, and yet so much gets sort of discussed and talked about. Like it's, it's, this is like these huge metaphors for humanity, but 
but like also at the same time, nothing is ever happening. So I think getting that tone right just just took a while, and we wanted to make sure people really care about these characters and really care about these stories, um, and and carry these these characters with them very closely. So we wanted to make sure we were getting it right for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm holding up Eeyore. That uh, you know, when when I left with my with my son, he I said, "Which what do you want to get? What what uh, what stuffy do you want to get?" And he 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 knows the characters, but he just calls this his donkey. He loves sleeping now with his Eeyore with oh. his donkey, and it's here in my office because he fell asleep in my office last night when I was doing a late recording. But oh. um, yeah, it's it's incredible the amount of uh, I, I guess um, the environment. That that goes that has gone into it, um, being built up around the outside of the stage and even inside of the stage, because this is something that I've always I, I took for granted until I went to other theme parks that shall not be named. But when I was you know I was a Disney kid, I'm a Disney adult, and so part of my experience going to Disney is is the lines, the queues. I love the interactivity and the and the the elaborate. Uh, set decoration, for lack of a better term, that they do in the queues. And outside the the theater, you've got, yeah, of course, you've got the merch and you've got the stuffies, but you've got these books, right? Like, instead of a program, you have a, a, a hardcover book, which I think you had an, a hand in creating, right? Yes, I helped with that synopsis that we we sort of tell retell the, the plot of the show there in that book. That book is beautiful and wild, and I kind of can't believe they chose to do that, but it's such a, a great souvenir, and they sell like crazy. It's very... Uh, it feels very West End of us to uh, <laughs> to have the the program souvenir that you 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 buy separately. But yeah, people t- seem to be really loving that book, and I think it's a nice takeaway to remember the show with. Especially, you know, bringing young kids to the show, and then they can have that book forever, and it's a good way to remember having seen it years later. What I really what I really like about the book too is is uh, you retell the story and the plot, but it goes into into the scenery and the costumes, and there's actually behind the scenes inside the book of how the how the show is put together but but geared towards that that age group that demographic who would be reading that book in the first place yeah i mean all our designers on the show really really killed it i mean the, the just the, the the puppets are gorgeous the textures on them are gorgeous uh same thing with the set design it, it does feel like you are sort of in the 100 acre wood it's that that attention to detail is is certainly very inspiring as an actor um, it, it helps a long way. So it, you mentioned at the beginning that you were brought into this because of your puppetry experience. And you know, in the bio, I said that you've you've got over a decade of experience working in children's media and whatnot. So talk to me about how you got started. What? Why? <laughs> why? As an ex? Well, I, I was going to say ex actor myself, but I guess you never you never quite leave the stage. Um, you can take the actor off the stage, but you can't take the stage out of the actor. That's right. That's so, right. <laughs> so <laughs> there were children's tours and whatnot. I mean, there is a special type of person that wants to, that loves being involved with children's theater and children's tours and whatnot. And so just talk me through how you got started in this area. Yeah, absolutely. I really got started. So the beginning of the story is I had a family friend who worked at Sesame Street when I was 12. He got a gig as as an AD on an, on an on-location shoot for the show where they were shooting down in Tompkins Square Park. Um, and because they were out on location, he could invite me to come watch uh, watch them work. I was a huge, huge Jim Henson fan, huge Muppets fan, had been like 
building puppets by myself. I was, I've just sort of always been this way. This was, this, it's always been this. You built your own Muppets? Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I was definitely doing full productions in my, in my bedroom. That was the kind of thing that I was. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Not, not a lot has changed. It's just not in the bedroom anymore. But, um, (laughs) but so, yeah. So that, that day when I got to see them work for the first time, I met a few of the, the Sesame cast and they, uh, saw a tiny little puppet nerd Jake and took me under their wing very kindly. And then it was uh, John Tartaglia who really was the one to kind of pull me under his wing and coach me and train me up in, in the Muppet style in the TV Muppet style. Um, and when I was 18 or 19, they were holding Sesame street was holding Sesame workshop was holding workshops uh, that were not auditions that were uh, for the show. And it was three days in a room where it's, it was about, you know, 25 of us who were working with a few of the cast members who are the puppet captains on the show and putting us through our paces in terms of character and manipulation. And everyone in the room was so remarkably talented that, it, you know, it was really coming down to the details there. Uh, and then I went away, did a tour, did a, a tour that John directed um, for a year. Jim Henson's Dinosaur Train Live, Buddy's Big <laughs> Adventure, um, and came back after that a year later and, and, and started to get a couple days on, on Sesame. So really, truly everything I know in terms of puppetry is because of, because of the Sesame cast. And, and wow. to work with those, those people, I mean, they're all so wickedly talented. Like, like it's the level of detail there. In their performances, and and the subtlety in their performances. You, you you think of Muppets, you think of big broad strokes, but like these are subtle actors who can really do beautiful stuff. So so learning under them has been such a gift. I've been such a small a, a small small part of the the Sesame legacy and canon, but it's been such a huge part of how I move through every job that I do. So. In my mind, there's different categories of of puppetry. So, of, there's there's this the Sesame Street style where I guess you're are you on your back? Are you just on your knees below where camera can see? Right, and you've got your hands up above your heads with holding holding what are they called the rods that that control yeah. the hands? Right. Yeah, yeah. And then there's like. Avenue Q style, where you're basically same type of puppets, but you're just at body height and you're right behind them and you're visual. And then over time, the audience seems to forget that the real people are there because you're just watching the facial expressions. I put in air quotes of these puppets. And then there's kind of, I guess what we'll call the Disney style now, where it's almost full body, right? Which I think was pioneered. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was this pioneered with Frozen when they did... Or it sort of started with Lion King, I guess. Lion King, was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was integrated I mean, with Lion King. So the way I'm operating Pooh is very similar to how Timon is operated in Lion King. Right, um, right, right. I just I have it on good authority that Pooh is a good bit heavier <laughs> because of all the stuff in fluff. <laughs> but um, if only Pooh was a, a, a slender meerkat, uh, wouldn't that be <laughs> so helpful? But um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess yeah, it's the Disney style. It's I, I'm pretty sure that was a, a Julie Taymor uh, thing. I mean, it certainly comes from a long lineage of you know Bunraku and old, old, old styles of puppetry but this kind of style that we've seen was was taken from a few different 
a, a few a few different styles and, and brought together to be this modern, yes, the Disney style, let's call it, absolutely. But yeah, Olaf has, has done the same way as well. Do you have a favorite that, that you do? Can you do, like if, if you can do one, is it sort of like an instrument where if you, could, if you know a violin, you can pick up a cello, or if you know the horn, you can pick up uh, a like French horn, right? So or you can pick up similarly typed things, so, or is it sort of a different skill per subcategory? There's definitely a good bit of it that you can transfer from style to style um, in that the tenets of puppetry are the same no matter the puppet you're picking up. Uh, I would say sort of the one style of puppetry that really differs from from what we're doing at Muppets is uh, 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 marionettes, string puppets, mm-hmm. because that's an indirect form of manipulation as opposed to, you know, you're actually touching the puppet or you're touching a rod that is controlling the puppet directly. Um, with all, with, with, with marionettes, you've got to handle all of the, the swinging back and forth. And it's a different, it's a whole different sort of philosophy there. Uh, so I can't, <laughs> I, I, I'm useless with the marionette, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, most other styles, you can sort of work around them the same way. Yeah. They, they, they're all, they're all related. We're all in the same family. So the million dollar question then, what do you think of Team America? I mean, we love it. We got to love it. We we love puppets being out in the world. We love puppets uh, uh, making it into the pop culture, you know, zeitgeist. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's all a wonderful thing. It's all a wonderful thing. So you were, you were probably actually 12 when, when Team America <laughs> came out. But the, I, I love the technology and I love South Park. So... Yeah, the merging of the two into marionettes, yeah. and I was watching one of the behind-the-scenes things too, where where uh, they, I I don't remember how many sets of servos actually made it into the final versions of the of the puppets, but they it originally was too realistic, mm-hmm. and so it it it, lo- it lost a lot of comic effect. So I think it was servos that controlled. I'm pointing at my smiley muscles, like the upper cheekbones. Like mm-hmm. to make to make you actually smile, I think that that made the talking so realistic instead of just moving your you know up and down jaw sort of thing. Yeah. So that it became too real, too believable, and again lost all its comedic effect. But uh, when, gosh, I guess yeah, for you doing the Disney style puppetry, right? There's what are you controlling? With your with the hand that's inside the head, so you've got eyes and mouth in there, or just I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's just mouth, right? It's yeah, it's just the mouth. So I'm doing the exact same thing I would be doing in a Muppet style up over my head puppet. Um, it's just out in front of me instead of up over me. Uh, it's just it's it's literally opening and closing my hand in there. That's that's all there is to it. Um, yeah, but you, you then you know you combine that with body posture and breath and weight and all the, all of these things that we're thinking of as puppeteers and you can it's it, the amount of times people are like oh wow you had you had a blink mech in there right no no that was just you know people start to believe these things are real with such you don't really need those mechs and those servos and those things most of the time you know you can really get away with you can really give a good performance without without all the the bells and whistles puppets can be pretty simple and pretty effective yeah, I guess it's up to the human brain to fill in the gaps, and we start to we start to see things where, based on assumptions and based on what we know about realistic objects, right? The brain will start to fill in the gaps, and if we're if we're we forget that you are behind, that you are behind Pooh, and we just start looking at Pooh as an actual live character, because you're doing your job so well, that of course we're going to start thinking Pooh is alive. 
And then our brain is going to make those unconscious connections. You know, that's hopefully the goal. Yes, that is. That's good to hear that that that's working for sure. Well, were you involved with with casting the rest of the actors? And because like multiple people uh, play multiple roles, I think you're the only one, right, that does just one character in the show. Yeah, once I'm strapped into strapped into the bear, it's uh, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> that is, I that is that is the puppet that I'm on for the rest of the ride. Um, I wasn't involved in casting at all. I've worked with a lot of this cast on other shows. The puppetry community and folks who have puppetry experience were were a small and mighty group. Um, so we tend to kind of hop from job to job together, which is a lovely thing. Um, so I know a lot of these folks. I think there was only. I think Christina, who's our, our our Kenga, was the only person I hadn't worked with at all before before this show. Mind you, it's a small cast. But uh, no, I wasn't involved in casting at all. I was thrilled when the cast came through. A lot of these folks did work on the workshops as well. Um, yeah, Kirsty, who's our, our piglet, uh, was in all of the workshops with me. So we've been piglet and poo now for years together, which is wonderful because we, you know, we have a, a good amount of scene work together. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I certainly feel you can feel that the time we've spent building out these scenes and, you know, there are, there are many cut scenes, many you know, versions of the script that are no longer there, but the, but those moments informed what actually ended up in the show because it was the two of us. So that, that's been a gift to have that much time for sure. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. When you when you get a new script, I guess as a puppeteer, do you approach it sort of in a different way than you would if you were just Jake the actor on stage? Because, well, I get yeah. I'll stop right there. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I think the only thing you're really cognizant of as a puppeteer that you wouldn't be of as an actor, and it's in addition to is is you want to make sure you're not really just like a talking head like you yeah. know puppets work when they're moving when there's when there's a physicality to them so when you're just talking and, and, and flapping the mouth it, they they don't really live up to what they can be doing um so you're you're always trying to add business to it in terms of physicality and and that element but other than that no i'm we are we are just approaching these scripts as actors um there's really no difference there it's just you know, okay, what, how would I approach this as an actor? Okay. And then how can I then communicate that one-to-one to the puppet? How, how, how much of the puppetry, I mean, I, I feel like this is a lot just like acting, right? You said there's no, basically no difference, but the majority of acting is listening. It's just active listening. So you're nodding, you're moving, you're, you're shaking around. Like you said, you're not just standing there. So are you practicing or does it become sort of second nature by this point in your career to develop mannerisms and physical characteristics for your puppets so that they're still actively moving in character when they're not speaking? Yeah, I certainly developed a sort of movement vocabulary for Pooh in rehearsals um, where he has the things that he goes to when he's listening whether that's scratching his head or, you know, he, 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 he certainly has his, his things that he goes to, but I don't think about those in the moment. That is, 
I, I am, I'm fully just in the scene. It, thankfully, it's at a place where it's now second nature and I'm not having to think, okay, well now I need to move this puppet in this way. It's, you know, I'm, I'm, I am full on thinking as Winnie the Pooh in that moment for sure. And, uh, and, and just reacting and listening. So you get stuck in trees at home searching for honey all the time. I oh totally, yeah, I'm very I can method. totally relate. Um, yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I, I've been doing a lot of sleeping, um, a lot of eating. Uh, this is all very true, actually. It's been a lot of sleeping, a lot of eating. Um, <laughs> it's been a it's been a great permission slip playing Winnie the Pooh to get to uh, to lean into both of those <laughs> my, my passions for for sleeping and eating and seeing my friends. <laughs> well, sleep, sleeping eating. Okay, I want to take this. I'll take this back to a somewhat serious bit. Um, sleeping and eating. Of course, you said you were ready to go during or right as COVID hit, and then it all got shut down. So, mm. uh, I guess your own mental health, your own ability, like you're on this upward trajectory. You're doing this thing with Disney. It's this great brand you're involved with. You're creating. You're helping create. Your name is attached to this as as a creator and then it just stops i mean yeah. were you were you ever at a point where you're like well there goes that i guess i gotta do something else now or were you like this is it i'm i'm okay i'm okay i'm gonna this all happen still yeah i uh, i vacillated back and forth i so when everything hit actually the day broadway shut down we were in rehearsals for a workshop for poo we were going to be presenting the final draft of the show for Thomas Schumacher and a few other folks in development at Disney. Just some um, little guy, yeah. Yeah, just some guy. Um, just some guy. And we were two days into those that the, the rehearsal process for that workshop. And obviously then, you know, we just all left and we said, okay, it was that see uh, in two weeks thing that we wow. all went through. Yeah. But uh, truth be told, I had just closed a show um, I was doing Paddington. I was doing the other Talking Bear. <laughs> um, a few uh, uh, for a few months before that, and I did not realize how sort of close to burnout I was. You know, uh, just 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 working and working. Um, had not realized how close to bur- how how burnt out I was. So those first few weeks of of quarantine, I was I was very happy to rest. Hmm. Um, it feels almost like. Now doing poo after everything we've been through with the pandemic, it feels a bit like, oh, well, that's why we were making this show. Because it was meant to happen now. Um, again, these these characters and these stories mean so much to people. And it is, it's such a place of safety for so many people that, yes, if we had done, if if nothing had gone down and we did this in fall of 2020, it would have been a lovely show. It would have, you know, People would have had a great time. You would have had a great time. It would have been everything we were hoping it would be. But now doing it under the context of getting to come back together, getting to come back to theater, um, it means so much more to get to deliver these characters and to make to 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 build the opportunity for people to be in the same room as these characters that mean so much to people, um, and give them that sense of safety and everything's going to be okay and you know we're here together again it feels like this is why we made this show we couldn't have possibly known that but the timing of it feels really special for sure not that i'm saying i'm glad this all happened this way at all but uh what a what a beautiful job to come to um 
out of all of this. It 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 does not. Yeah, I, and I, as an yeah. audience, an audience member too. You've got the parents who it's nostalgia for them. They're coming back and revisiting these characters that they haven't seen probably in a long time, nor ever in this live action form like this. And then, as, as the case with you know my children specifically, sometimes they're introduced to this stuff for the for the, for the first time. They they're familiar with it, maybe like we've read some books or whatnot. But now, like Eeyore. You know, my son's donkey, he he sleeps, he cannot sleep without Eeyore now. And that's just one of the things. He just loves, loves the loves Eeyore. And I feel like there's an opportunity, like you said, coming out of the pandemic and bringing the nostalgia and the love for these characters that have never, like they've never been, there, there are a lot of characters that are like sort of trying to, to, triumph over one another or to like sort of be in competition. And so, but this is a storyline and a group of characters that are always just solving adventures together. They're not ever trying to put each other down. It's, it's such a special group of, of, yeah, of characters. And I feel like that translates coming out of the creative team and the organization putting it all together. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been saying this, that, these these books, especially the original books, um, the quality that I love most about them is each story is is much more about the relationships between the characters than any one of the characters. It's such an ensemble thing. Um, they they all have blind spots in beautiful ways, <laughs> and the way they sort of puzzle piece together is what makes these stories what they are, and it's why they've lasted for a hundred years, and why we all I think find ourselves in them. Uh, the staying power is certainly in its because they all are. They're all stories about relationships. They're all about friendship and not necessarily always getting along. You know, it, it, they're not oversimplified and, and twee in that way. But there, there's it's 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 the relationships when we don't get along, and then you know, yeah, yeah. Well, when you're when you're creating for children i mean i guess what yeah what's your background and what's the what's the the training process that you've gone through to specifically create and perform for children versus adults and i'm not saying adult content i'm just saying when you're making a kids show it's obviously done in a little bit of a different way so that the kids can stay more engaged by through through whatever means uh i guess that work best for them and not being a creator of anything for children i have no idea but i know it works yeah, I mean that a lot of that comes down to you know the material that we're dealing with, but it's not necessarily because we as actors are dealing in a different way with that material if that makes sense. Uh, one of the first shows I did when I got to the city was the Very Hungry Caterpillar show. And uh that was for, you know, that had an even younger market than 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 Pooh does. That was we had some like true tiny little like potato babies in the audience and it was wonderful <laughs> and they would watch the show like they were you know they didn't know where they were or why they were but they were they were watching the show they were not off somewhere else um but we as actors approached that material like sort of anything else and we found the metaphor in it and i i I really love working on projects that can exist on different layers for multi-generational audiences so i i don't i try not to do kids stuff that is just kids kids and hey boys and girls like that stuff i really mm-hmm. don't care for I, I i do gravitate towards stuff that yes in its most simplest 
in, in the simplest form, it, 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 kids love it and they're going to love it. But there's also, there's, there's, I think those things work because there's layers there and because we're pulling in the, the parents and the grandparents too. I mean, and, and Winnie the Pooh is the North star of that. I mean, there's, there's so many layers there and I, for the longest time, these, these books have been sort of a North star of the kind of work I wanted to do. I never thought it would translate to me actually getting to work with these characters and these stories in any way. Um, but that's far more interesting to me than, than, than doing kids shows or yeah, it's, it's, it's stories that can speak to kids as if they're adults and speak to adults as if they're kids. Right. Yeah, I get that. I mean, we're obviously not watching Pooh solve astrophysics equations, right? You know, so it's something that on a... Because that would be so entertaining. I mean, that's what... (laughs) Give the people what they want. (laughs) (laughs) We can have Paddington Bear and Winnie the Pooh playing chess. Yeah. Um, That's the cut scene. That's the cut scene. Yeah, I can see why that was cut from the show. (laughs) (laughs) The... The whole, I guess the whole thing for me is uh, kids are empathetic. Kids are, are more open to, um, to emotion than, of course, than adults want to let on that they are. I don't, I don't ultimately think maybe that adults are less receptive than kids are. I think adults just have more of the armor on as we get older, right? We learn how to segment and compartmentalize and, and pretend things aren't yeah. bad or good or whatever the case is. So you've got Eeyore, which for years has been famously like helping kids deal with sadness and depression. And uh, I, I want to say Pooh also has a little bit of anxiety and, and like Tigger can be manic. And you've got all of these extremes, right? So is there, is there any part of that 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 made it into the creative process or, or like you as Pooh, does that, does, does, I guess, does any of that shape how you portray him or how, or does he affect you outside of the show? Cause I, I feel like every character becomes part of the actor at some point. Oh yeah. I mean, I think, I think people think of Pooh as like ever the optimist. Um, and I'm not sure that's entirely true now having played him for a bit. Because I spend like very little of the show, like fully happy. Like who's <laughs> like his his home base is like he's like a detective. Like he wants to put the things together, you know. Like he's 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 doing like the puzzle in his head at all times. He's sort of one mm-hmm. step behind everybody. And I think that's probably where a bit of that maybe anxiety comes from. Is like he's he's just in a place where he's figuring it all out, which I can certainly relate to. <laughs> <laughs> I am just always in a place where I'm just trying to figure it out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and, and it's it actually really is a really it's a fun, very human place to come from. It feels like um, I think that's why people respond to him is because he's just trying his best. He's like, I you know I woke up. I guess the next right thing to do is go have breakfast, and then I guess I'll I don't know go take a walk. It's like all, pretty much all of us in quarantine. Like, what are we gonna do? I guess I'll. I, I'll take a nap. I don't know. I'll go. I'll go. <laughs> I'll go walk and see Piglet, and then go from there. Yeah, I, I, I think I certainly got got closer to Pooh uh, during that time. I can see it from a, a different perspective for sure. 
Oh, I love that. Absolutely love that. But the sh- the show that is is beautiful, and everybody needs to go see it. And so, where can we find you on social media? Yes, social media. Um, <laughs> so I'm at Jake Bazel everywhere, everywhere I need to be. I mean, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not on Twitter. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I'm on Twitter, mm-hmm. but I'm not on Twitter. Um, but I'm everywhere, and yeah, you can you can find me there. Wonderful. So let's close out with three standard closing questions that I think you're prepared for because you said you've listened to past episodes. Okay. The first one is what motivates you? I do everything uh, for the kid that I was. Ooh, I love that. You should get yeah. that tattooed on, on your hip or something. Not, not yeah. your face because you need your face, but yeah, get a tattoo <laughs> on your hip. I do everything for the kid that I was. <laughs> Actually, oh, I'm trying to decide if I want to go into... Yes. Okay. I'm gonna ask this question then. So the kid, the the kid that you were, is that still inside you, or are you trying to get back to that? Oh, I think it's. I think I've very intentionally preserved it, and I think that comes from that day at Sesame when I was 12, and I I saw this as a profession from such a young age that I knew that this was sort of the the part of me that I wanted to lead with and 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 speak to. So I think I've done a very intentional job of trying to like protect that part of me. So it, it's still in there for sure. Oh, I love that. Okay. So second question then, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Oh, just be patient. Please be patient. <laughs> be patient with yourself. <laughs> I think that was the, the blessing and the curse of, of, of seeing it so early as a kid. That I was like, oh, I want to do it now. And I got really impatient. And I maybe I didn't actually let myself be a, enough of a kid in some ways. Um, so yeah, just like letting it, just like it's going to take time and that's okay. It's going to take time and that's okay. I like that. All right, last question. Hard, hardest one. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, you can see it as many times as you want. What would you see? Oh, that is a good question. I think that, that well, I will say that answer is going to change daily. Um, oof. I'm going to go with, right now, I'm going to go with War Horse. War stick Horse? To, stick to the puppet theme. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. The first, time I, the first time I saw that show, I was like, woof. It, it was a gorgeous production. It was a gorgeous production. Oh, did you see, speaking of oversized puppetry, did you see King Kong? I did not see King Kong. Oh. I well, did not see King Kong, but okay. I've had many it's conversations okay. about King Kong, um, and that puppet is absolutely stunning. It, amazing! I, like th- they they had to incorporate the the yeah. puppetry into the choreography <clears throat> because you've got puppeteers. Or I don't know. I don't remember how many people it took to operate Kong. It was like a you know a dozen. Yeah. But you've got people running up, climbing up a ladder hidden on his back so that they can grab a rope and jump off. 20 feet off his head so that they act as a counterweight to lift the hand and then the, so that the fist can slam back down and do gorilla <sighs> things. Listen, like I, can, I can never complain about how big Winnie the Pooh is when that thing has been on Broadway. Like that is... <laughs> I can never complain about the size of Pooh and the, and the weight of that puppet when, uh, when King Kong has been on Broadway. I think he weighed two thousand pounds. I I'm think that was sure. It, I'm sure it did. It's, I believe that's the stat. I'm sure that show was a workout. I have, I have no doubt. But oh gosh, and to interact with something that 
that that large. I mean, just incredible. Anyway, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for this lovely conversation. Thank you You're bringing out bringing out my my inner child here Aww. as well. Aww. Thank you. So I've appreciated it. Um, everybody, go see Winnie the Pooh. It is yes. incredible. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.